Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you know quite a bit about me because through the years I've been telling stories about myself, and if you've been here for a few years, you probably know a lot of them. But there's a lot of you here that don't know aspects of my life. And one aspect of my life that some of you are probably familiar with, but many of you aren't, is for 12 years I was involved in youth ministry from 75 to 87. First as a freshman in college volunteering with Young Life, which is a Christian outreach for high school kids, and then continuing doing youth ministry in one way or another, even through my first position as an ordained minister, ordained priest, at St. Stephen's, which was in Pittsburgh. So for 12 years, I was involved in youth ministry. In fact, one part of that was Meredith was, uh, at one time, full-time staff with Young Life, and that's how we met. We did ministry together before we actually dated. And so Meredith has never known me apart from ministry. Well, during those years, and especially working with Young Life, I could gravitate and work with kids that I could connect with easily. But at one point, and this was after Meredith and I were married, and we moved across the city to a place that was much more convenient for us to commute to and from work and be able to have one car. And when we moved, this man who had heard about us doing Young Life work came up to us, and he said, I want you to work with my kids. And the guy's name was Bill Moore. And Bill was an interesting guy. Bill, at one time, grew up in Hell's Kitchen and basically lived out on the streets. He had two alcoholic parents. His parents were not loving, not supportive, not encouraging, very dysfunctional family. Eventually, when he finally could get away from home, he joined the army and he became a demolitions expert. And he blew up people and things. And at one point, Bill actually lost his leg and had a prosthetic because of demolitions. When he came back to the States, partly because of his family background and his family makeup, partly because of the pain he was in, because of his injury, he got involved in alcohol, and even being a drug addict. And he needed to support himself and support his habit, so Bill eventually became a hitman. He used to break people's limbs. And if you ever saw Bill's hands, they were all gnarled, probably from being broken from hitting people. Well, Bill, during these years, of course, had some money at his disposal. And he used to go out and he met this woman. 
And her name was Eva. And Eva was a good Christian girl. So Bill had to become a con in order to get her. And he did. And he won her heart, and they ended up being married. And he continued to live a double life. He got a more respectable job, but he was also still an addict. And so they had eventually two beautiful daughters that Meredith and I actually would end up working with years later. And Bill's life began to unravel. And he looked at his beautiful wife and he looked at his beautiful daughters and he said, I'm going to take them down with me unless I take myself out. So he attempted suicide. And while he was laying there thinking he was dying, he got a vision of Jesus on the cross. And he realized the depth of God's love and he gave his life to the Lord saying, no matter what happens, I want to be yours. Well, he woke up, much to his surprise, still alive, and decided to give his life and re-gear his life towards serving the Lord and doing ministry. So what he figured out he could do is he could take his background of a dysfunctional, broken family that was so messed up, combined with his own addiction, and get involved in alcohol and drug counseling with broken families, and especially kids. Well, that's when Meredith and I met Bill. And Bill said to Meredith and I, I want you to do youth ministry with my kids. So Meredith and I said, well, you know, Bill, we think we need to probably talk about this and pray about this. Because, you know, Meredith and I were goody two-shoes. So he said, we're not really sure this is who we are, Bill. And he said, you love the Lord and you love kids and you're going to work with my kids. And we said, okay. <laughs> and we did for several years. And when we first started our youth group with these kids, we had two kids. And Meredith and I were working full time at the time, both of us. After two years, we had about 40 to 50 kids coming. And we had a great relationship with the kids. And Bill came to me and he said, I want you to start a baseball team with the boys. <laughs> Did you ever see the Bad News Bears? These guys were worse. And I'm not kidding. We played 18 games that first season, uh, 13 to 15-year-olds. Pony League, as they called it. They were terrible. First few games they lost, they wanted to fight the other team. Eventually, the second season, we would actually win a game or two. But it was a blessing in our lives to be able to share in that ministry with Bill. And it was interesting to watch how the Lord took this person, whose life was a mess who all he knew was being hurt and hurting people. The Lord got a hold of and used to change 
dozens, if not hundreds of lives and families. And we got to be a part of that, Meredith and I. And what a blessing that was. Now the reason I tell you this is because when Paul says, I did not come to you with persuasive wisdom, eloquent speech. But I came to you knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the message. We always want to make it so much more complicated. That's the message. I came to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, Bill wouldn't say it quite that way to people because he was rough around the edges. In fact, if I told you some of his phrases, well, it wouldn't be appropriate here. But he spoke straight to people. And when he talked about the higher power, the higher power is Jesus Christ. And it was the cross of Christ that changed his life. And it was Jesus Christ and Him crucified that changed Paul's life. And it's the message that he preached. But it has to penetrate your heart. Change your life. You need to know that for your life. And when Jesus preached his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that the gospel reading that we have came from. In many ways, that's what he was saying to the people that he was preaching to. The people of Israel. Not the people necessarily that were highly educated, though some probably came out to hear him, but the common people. That last week we spoke about, he, he talked about the Beatitudes. Blessed are you, blessed are you. And at the end of that part of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you're the salt of the earth. Understand how basic that is. You're the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It changes things. By its very nature, it changes things. It's a simple element. NaCl, sodium chloride. Two elements that come together to make salt. And the two elements that come together are the Lord and the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in you and a willing heart on our part that can make a difference in the world. And it takes those two parts. It's simple. It's simple. But it has an impact. What does salt do? We say salt cures. And when Jesus came, He brought a ministry of healing that we are meant to carry on. Physical healing, yes, but also spiritual healing. Offering the gospel to people. Salt preserves in a decaying world that's full of sin, that's full of brokenness, we're meant to bring in something that changes 
from death to life, from sickness to wholeness, from dysfunction to healthy. Salt brings spice. And we are meant to bring spice into people's lives. How many people bring drudgery and misery and pain to other people? That is not meant to be us. We are meant to bring joy and life and fun and blessing and love into people's lives. You are the salt of the earth. And then he has this interesting line. If you lose your saltiness, in other words, if you lose your essence, what you're really meant to be and what you're really meant to do, if you lose it, then you get thrown on the ground and trampled. In other words, you're like the rest of the world. You're not unique. You're not doing what you're called to do and to be. And it's your essence when you really understand who the Lord is and why He came. When you really have a heart given to Him, it's your essence to be salt, to make a difference. You are the light of the world. What does light do? Light shines in the darkness. Light brings sight because you can see because of light. Light is about revelation. And God is constantly seeking to reveal Himself. And He wants us to be those instruments that bring His presence into people's lives, into a broken world. A dark world. You are the light of the world. When we're filled with Jesus Christ, who is the light, we bring this light into the world. We're to bring the revelation of God by word and deed into a dark world. A city set on a hill. What the people there are going to hear is the city of Jerusalem, in particular Mount Zion, which is where the temple is. And the temple represents the presence of God and the people of God to the world. That's what we are to be. That we're so filled with His Spirit that we shine forth with God. With the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the fruit of the Spirit. For everyone to see. When you have a light, you don't put it under a bushel, he said. How do you do that? You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. When we seek to follow our own will, in contrast, contrary to his will, and we seek to want to be the God of our own lives. When His essence is no longer a part of our life, His Spirit, then we put a bushel over the light. We hide. We hide God's love. We hide His glory. We hide His holiness. And He calls us to be holy. And that's what Israel was doing. 
And then he weaves in this whole talk about the law and the prophets. Don't think by my saying this, the Beatitudes, being salt and light, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to bring you the truth of what they're really meant to be about, which is not legalism. It's God's holiness. It's God's righteousness that we embody because we're filled with with His Spirit. We're filled with His righteousness. That that becomes a natural byproduct of who we are. And the reason he says the law and the prophets, the law is the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, that the Sadducees would adhere to. And the prophets were the rest of the Old Testament that the Pharisees would adhere to. So he's basically saying, I don't care what school you're from. What I care is that as you see this revelation that God has given to you in the Old Testament, that really provides you with the message, the essence of what God is about and what God wants for your life, that I've come to fulfill, I've come to show you what this is about, how this is lived out, and the full extent of God's love because He would die on a cross. And then he goes on to say this incredible line. Your holiness must exceed. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Now see, the Pharisees are professional holy people. Okay, That's what a lot of people think I am. Don't ever mistake that. And they're saying, be more righteous than them? Are you kidding? They have the life. They have the knowledge. They have everything it takes to live the righteous life. So they think. See, because really what it takes is a heart given over to the Lord. That you have that essence, His Spirit in you. That you understand what the law is really all about. To convict us of sin and to direct us in righteousness. To recognize it's not there because we're going to fulfill it all. That's who Jesus is. That's why Jesus came. That God will shape us and mold us that way by His Spirit as we're given over to Him. When we really seek Him with all of our heart, so that His essence becomes our essence. That when Jesus came to be the light, that we live into that light and we shine with that light. He goes on to say something even stronger at the end of chapter 5. 
When you get to 548, Jesus would say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now you think we fell short with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Be perfect as God is perfect? What are you kidding? The point Jesus is making is you can't. You can't. This is not about you. This is not about your effort. This is not about your legalistic perfectionism. This is about understanding the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we need a Savior. We need God's mercy and grace. That we need to give up our own will and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is not about getting into arguments about, well, what about the ritual law and what about the dietary laws? Those are gone. The New Testament deals with those. What we're talking about is becoming righteous and holy as Jesus is. We're talking about being loving and sacrificial as Jesus is. We're talking about being salt and light to a world that's broken and sick and decaying. That's what we're talking about. One of my favorite verses that really says it Simply, let me read it to you. It's from Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4 says, He said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, Not by power. It's not what the world says it is. It's not by your own effort and ability. It's by His Spirit. Let me tell you a little bit about Zerubbabel, a common household name today. Zerubbabel was a guy who led the exiles, some of the exiles, back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land, if you will. After the fall. The fall happened in the 570s. This is 538. It's about about 40-50 years later. And the people are returning. And what they return to after the Babylonian exile is a destroyed city. The temple's in ruins. And the wall is in ruins. And Zerubbabel leads this group back. And he says, we need to rebuild the temple. Because the temple represents the presence of God to us. And as we worship the Lord, the presence of God to the people around us. So we need to restore the temple. And it takes time. And it's delayed. And he begins to work with Ezra the priest. And and around 520, the temple's built. Zerubbabel eventually becomes governor. Now, we don't know much about him. We see him in this place in Zechariah. We see him in the book of Ezra. Nehemiah, who has a book named after him, did something similar. He came back, rebuilt the wall, and he became governor. But we don't know much about Zerubbabel. He probably was not a leader in the community in Babylonian exile because he was a Jew in Gentile territory. He was in exile. But because he had such a heart for the Lord... 
Because he wanted to let the Lord's light shine, the Lord used him in a wonderful way and raised him up. That he was able to be salt and light for the Israelites and for the world around. Back to Bill Moore. Bill took a regular guy, probably maybe a little irregular. A broken guy. And he used him in powerful ways. Not because he was elegant, eloquent, articulate, but because he had a heart for the Lord and a heart for people. Because he realized that in his brokenness, God visited him, changed his heart, and changed his life. And he became salt and light. And the Lord used his brokenness, his struggles, his pain, as well as the gifts he brought, his willingness to be in people's face. And he changed lives. Bill lived a lie. Bill lived in a lie. And when the Lord finally got his attention and he came to know the truth of Jesus Christ and the depth of his love and his sacrifice on the cross so that he could become righteous, Bill changed. And Bill became salt and light. Let me ask you a question. Have you really come to the place where you understand what this faith is all about. About that you're broken. That you need a Savior and a Lord. That you can't do it. But the Lord can. And He can use you And He wants to use you. And if you really come to Him, He will use you. Because you are salt. And you are light. When you know Him. And your essence is by His Spirit. Are you salt? And are you light? Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, as you said in your word, you came not to abolish the law, to annul it, to make it void, but to fulfill it. And we are not able. That in and of ourselves we are not righteous, and we're far from perfect. And we need a Savior. That it's only by your righteousness that we are righteous. That we have broken lives and we live in a broken world full of sin and decay. Lord, we pray this day that we would know 
your essence in our hearts and lives. That we would be so filled by your Spirit that we would truly be salt and light in the lives of the people around us. Not because we're seeking to be legalists or good people. Because we're seeking you with the whole of our hearts. And we're seeking your will with the whole of our lives. Lord, help us to see your Son before us, crucified. Because of your love and because of our need. Help us to know this truth for our own lives. Help us to be transformed by your Spirit and to be salt and light for our sake and for the sake of the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name.